I've got the letter from him still. He said that Richard's um, attitude that he wanted to shoot a good film at all costs hit me just like a, quote, slap in the face, unquote. If one student adopts this attitude, then other members of the workshop may be tempted to copy it. And chaos, in block capital letters, only can ensue. Welcome to Midnight Video's Doomsday Clock, a carry-on countdown of movies from the cult crow's nest with your hosts me, Jim Hall. And me, Phil Walsh. Tonight, with the hands poised at two minutes to midnight, we warn listeners that picking up hitchhikers in Namibia can seriously damage your physical and mental health, even if you're the director. We stick our thumbs out for Richard Stanley's 1993 horror, Dust Devil. ticks on, we're nearly at midnight in fact we've just had to wait 20 minutes for the machinator in the <laughs> toilets next door to stop, that was quite scary. It was extreme, there was a devil in the uh, in the, system. In the YouTube yeah. the U-tube, <laughs> the down tube what, what's it the, called? The U-bend the U-bend yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, we've, we've had to halt recording for about 10-15 yeah, minutes there because there was just so much racket and we were quite worried we were going to get covered in septic tank <laughs> contents uh, but yeah, it's a fecal matter. It's um, I was going to say appropriate way to start the show, really, <laughs> isn't it? It's never appropriate. <laughs> We've just got about everything here: envisceration, partial cremation, sexual mutilation, and possibly even cannibalism. We found the remains of a clock wedged inside her. For God's sake! Wendy's fleeing an abusive husband. Joe is a cop hunting the killer in a series of ritualistic murders, and a cowboy-booted hitcher wants to leave the material plane altogether. These three lost souls collide in the Namibian desert in this hallucinogenic horror movie, which suffered major distribution and editing problems, and which we're reviewing here in its director-approved final cut form. I do remember this being on TV a long time ago. Uh, I think when I was staying at some friend's house, and we probably had a few drinks already... Although it may not have been this, I think it, it was. Been this cut, will it? Mm, probably not. No, it, but I'm wondering now if it was this or Razorback. Oh right. Which this reminded me of. I only watched Razorback the other week because you've been lending me quite a lot of exploitation. Um, but I suppose both from directors who are known for having quite a visual flair. That's probably quite a lot of directors, isn't it? <laughs> but Russell Mulcahy did uh, Razorback. Uh, came from a background in pop videos. But Richard Stanley. Um, this certainly does have quite a distinct look to it. It does. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's kind of weird because I think this and Hardware are very different films. Um, I know there was all the furor of uh, the origins of Hardware because it, it is a very 2000 AD film. It's a very specific one, but I'm not, I don't know, I think it, there's, there's room for it being coincidence. It's not like oh, it's, yeah. you know. But whereas this, this is very, uh, very much out there on its own. I feel um, certainly story-wise, but the look—I mean, the setting. Anyway, I mean, how many films have you seen set in Namibia? And so not many horror films. No, <laughs> and also um, the sort of kind of love letter that he managed to get across to cinema as well, which was a bit mm. surprising. I thought 
But yeah, you can see, I, I imagine this must have been quite challenging to make anyway, without all the problems that he endured afterwards. Yeah. Um, had you seen this many times before? Uh, just the once. Right. Just the once. I'm very glad we've seen this version because it wasn't till after I'd watched it that I read about all of these um, distribution and editing problems that it suffered. Because uh, you know, right off the bat, I've got to say I was really impressed with this. You know, really loved it. Which is odd because I think in the first half hour I wasn't so impressed at all. <laughs> On the last show, we reviewed Son of the Sangre, which had a soundtrack by Simon Boswell, which uh, I think we both liked the the stuff he did for Son of the Sangre. It, it might seem like a minor point, but obviously it can have a really big impact. This started with another Simon Boswell soundtrack, but it just sounded really cheap and tinny, um, which I think instantly tells you something about the budget if it sounds like it was just done on one synth or something. If it has that kind of quality to it, you can't help but think of what the rest of the film's production was like. And to begin with, I really wasn't into this at all. It felt like, as I say, a Russell Mulcahy thing. And one of the things with, the, um, with Razorback is a guy used to come from a pop video background who probably had a substantial budget to make a four minute piece of film but was probably using the same aesthetics to make an hour and a half film on a possibly a different budget altogether it didn't really work for me Razorback in that sense I do, it, I did enjoy it, I think there's a lot to recommend about it but we're not reviewing Razorback um, Dust Devil though did have that kind of cheap look to it no shortage of imagination to it but to begin with I was just thinking this is something that isn't really going to pull it off as it went on it really it really won me over and I think part of that is that the setup is so unusual it's not just that it is set in the movie and how many films do you see there that's certainly part of it though the main thing for me is that the the, the form of a better word the threat or the menace is, is something I've not come across in, in films before um, I think it is based on a actual myth isn't it a, yes. an actual myth you know, <laughs> a traditional legend <laughs> a traditional myth but yeah you're just used to the same kind of tropes coming up all the time in horror films there's a psycho killer or there's a vampire or something like that or a werewolf and here it seemed like even though it was playing with those things it was doing something really fresh with it yeah I mean I I still even watching it again yesterday I was still struggling to fully comprehend what the threat was what the um, I think they call it a no-loper mm. um, this creature that um, picks off people in order to well this is the thing right? because I'm not <laughs> sure whether the guy um, what's he called uh, Robert Burke mm. who plays this um, this hitchhiking killer yeah. the dust devil is a guy who is um, a vessel for yeah. this creature or if he's a manifestation of this creature. I was very confused with that. Yeah, it's not made clear, and I think that's one of the great things about mm. it. I know what you mean. Is this just what the demon looks like, or is this a guy who's momentarily possessed by him? You know. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he does seem to retain these, like, there's a there's a human side to him. He, he talks about his past and stuff mm -hmm. at times in a very, like, he's experienced that completely, like, he's lucid. And then there's other times where he's so far removed from it, and there's, and that's not just when he's communicating with another character. He's by himself. Um, yeah. Quite a while ago, I did a video quiz with like a scene from this film where he's in a shower, and then um, there's a witch doctor giving a voiceover throughout the film who talks about this this Narlo, but the shapeshifter, and 
he's a, you can see he's at battle with himself. He's mm. it, it's very odd. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a very um, I don't know. I found it well, confusing in a good way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, no, that's a great thing. You, you're plunged into it, um, and like you say, there's a witch doctor character, although he's by no means you know on a. <laughs> Set up on high is this kind of uh, oh, no. guy with a gammy eye used to be a projectionist, or something, <laughs> isn't he? Just, uh, and that's one of the wonderful things here. It's uh, for me the fact it's set in uh, South Africa, Namibia, Namibia, and um, it's obviously not Britain, but there's enough elements there that it's there's bits of it that are familiar and bits of it that seem completely alien. And that's another thing I've been getting with the exploitation films. Some of the time you think, oh yeah, this is pretty much where I live. But then there's other bits where you think, whoa, no, it's not at all, is it? And that was great throughout it. So it wasn't just, here's a psycho killer, you know. It, it was, much of the pleasure of the film was not investigating this alien world, but being presented with it and uh, trying to come to grips with it. Because there are really offhand bits with this, the, the, the couple in it, um, Wendy and her husband. The first time you see them, they're in suburbia, aren't they? With this mm, um, in South Africa, Volkswagen Beetle or something. So yeah, I just loved getting to know more about that kind of environment that they were in. The fact that you have that witch doctor who's not really any great shakes, is he? Um, but he's giving his explanation to the audience and to one of the characters here of what the threat is but in very poetic terms and I like it not just being laid on the line I like being kept in a kind of weird halfway state mm. and you're not sure some of the time what in this is meant to be a dream and what's meant to be physically happening um, there are some great hallucinations and dream sequences like very inventive but they just really add to the atmosphere of it and just you know I can't tell you I've been so bored of psycho killers and vampires. The fact that this guy is is a good-looking guy, he seems articulate. You know, you're never just bored by the clichés of him. He seems like he's a character in his own right. And so are all the other characters, you know. Conventionally you'd have the female victim, but she's absolutely on a par with everybody else in the film. She's able to take care of herself. Teela. Yeah. She was Teela in Masters yes, of the sorry, Universe. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ch- Chelsea Field. Chelsea Field, yeah. Yeah, he, she's very nice. She's like the thinking man's Tara Palmer Tompkins. <laughs> <laughs> um, the witch doctor character I've mentioned before, but also uh, Joe, Joe. Joe the copper, who's this bold. He's not useless, but he just looks like a bloke. He looks like someone you'd know. In that, yeah, you'd I know. mean, I made a. They've not a got point of writing down. He's so far from your Hollywood uh, version of a yeah. cop. He's just kind of struggling along and. The other thing that I found that was really interesting is there's a, there's almost a political subtext to all this because it was only a few years beforehand that Namibia had gained independence from South Africa. Um, South Africa had been in, in charge of them and had apartheid there as well for the previous 40-odd years, I think. So there's this undercurrent of change Mm. which is affecting the country more or less negatively really and you know there's little flashes of that so you've got Wendy's husband chasing her down to Namibia and then he goes into the bar where she was last but it's the bar is actually it's two bars we mm. we didn't know this before mm. there was a white bar which is empty there's only like three people there and then there's the black bar behind full of them and this white guy goes in the from South Africa demanding where's my wife where's my wife where's my <laughs> wife <laughs> and um, I, I found that quite interesting because it, it's not heavy handed you know it, it's, like say, it's a voice text. of experience yeah. almost though because Stanley's from yeah. South Africa it's there and you couldn't 
ignore it. You couldn't not mm. have it, but it's not trying to beat you over the head with it at all. You know. No, no. Uh, but also, that's that adds something to it that you've got that sense of the past's gone, but it's still kind of creeping around and it's pertinent, mm. which obviously is also the idea of the supernatural thing being something which is certain characters regard as real and we shouldn't ignore, um, whereas other people think this can't be anything superstitious, that's a load of old nonsense, but you know, the fact that you've got the, the, the past encroaching on the present uh, is a really good theme in it There's also that, you know, with the, the windswept uh, sand dune, dry desert look and the way that um, Robert Burke's character dresses, you know, you've got that western feel as well, but it's kind of turning those tropes on its head a bit because you know, he's the antagonist. He's a you know the towns are all abandoned now. There's there's no life there anymore, and um, I suppose you get that in stuff like oh, is it what's the odd Eastwood one? Is it High Plains Drifter? High Plains Drifter, that's the yeah. one. Yeah, it reminded me of the opening of that. You know, when they first mm. go, he goes. There's that ghost. Sort yeah, of I think that was one of the reasons I wasn't so keen to begin with. I thought oh, it was going right. to be quite a sort of ropey kind of retread of that kind mm, of thing mm. but really had its own atmosphere uh, yeah but I mean but later on there is a, a proper ghost town in it and it's really striking visually yeah. how it's represented yeah absolutely buried in sand yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> no it's fantastic other weird things uh, Joe's character uh, listens to whale song throughout it on a tape which again is, is weird in itself but then when you actually do get these really brilliantly shot scenes right over the desert that just adds something else it is again like a ghost because you know you'd associate wheels with the sea and then you've got this complete sand everywhere yeah you know it is like an echo of the past uh, coming in i probably sound quite fruity saying this <laughs> but uh no these these are all great things about it you know it just seems a really unique film yeah definitely it's uh it's a standalone i suppose <laughs> um also starring uh is it william hootkins he was the kind of South African, uh, the, the, um, oh, the, the police chief. Yeah, yeah. But he's had some minor but significant roles in a lot of genre cinema. He's, he's one of the X-Wing fighters in uh, Star Wars. Oh, yeah. He's one of the guys who comes to see Indiana Jones at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. And he's Zarkov's assistant at the start of Flash Gordon. Wow. <laughs> but he only died uh, a few years back, but uh, it's nice to see him having a, a slightly bigger role. Oh, yeah, because he was in Hardware. He's the, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. the, the voyeur, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. The perv. <laughs> um, I mentioned earlier that one of the great things here is that the, the, the villain in it is quite a good-looking guy, you know. It's, it doesn't get easy shocks. Um, there are there's a fair bit of prosthetics work in here, but used very sparingly and inventively. I think we um, we do have um, a few autopsy scenes, but yeah, not like bodies you'd usually see. You know, they're sort of burnt away and yeah. Um What like I would say is you do get a few brief sort of dream sequences when the dust devil is kind of rendered with um, prosthetics, which I think aren't that successful you know, it really makes me appreciate the fact that he's not like that for most of it mm. um, Yeah, one thing I wanted to ask, I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler, but maybe people who've seen it or you might look out for it if you watch it but there is a scene where uh, Burke's character is with a woman and they're having sex and there's a shot in the mirror mm -hmm. and you see Burke sat on a chair, reflected in the mirror, mm, at the same that. time. Because I know that his twin brother is actually in the film. All oh, right, it's like well. uh, Terminator Two. Yeah, it? but it, it was very subtle. I mean, you, 
it's probably because I've watched it when I've watched the film before then I'll start like my eyes will rover on mm. the frame kind of thing yeah. and it, it was very odd I, I mean it must be on purpose I mean it's yeah. obvious but not obvious you know, mm. it's um, subliminal almost yeah. but I was just wondering if you noticed no that. I didn't notice that no know, but it is it has got a lot of that kind of stuff in it I yeah mean, there's, yeah there's a great bit with which we'll, I won't reveal but the something that happens during the initial point with the hitchhiking Oh, okay. Uh, with Wendy, which I just thought was again great. It wasn't like this is a vampire. This is what he does. This is what he will kill him. Da, da, da. You know, they're really playing around with it, and yeah, just constantly kept you guessing what was going on, and you weren't really sure what you were watching. It's kind of heavy-handed, but I do like it. I mean, if you're a genre film fan, where uh, the witch doctor's remembering one of the nights back, and he says. Uh, they watched Bird with a Crystal Plumage and Seven Golden Vampires, was yeah, it? that was a good it's night. A good, it was <laughs> a good double bill. I do like those uh, those uh, massive references yeah. there. <laughs> I don't, but I'll let it get away with it for that yeah, one. Yeah, but I think I think if you're aware of those films, it's mm. a kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess even right, if you don't, it just, just adds you. a little bit of character to it. Yeah, you probably... Uh, if if you don't know those kind of films, you mm. you think, oh, Bird with a Crystal Plumage, that it must be some like African a, film, way. <laughs> seven Golden Vampires. <laughs> so yeah, as we've mentioned, this had a lot of problems um, in terms of didn't Palace go bust? Yeah, and this was in you know it, it meant that Stanley didn't have um, control over the cut then. And I think Basically. all sorts of cuts were made by. I might be being unfair to them. Is it Miramax who then? Yeah, because it's the Weinstein's. Yeah, right. But it was them who then did all these. I think there's even like a 68 minute cut yes of it. yeah that's right but that's not I think was it Harvey who usually has more of a hands on mm. thing he, he did one of the cuts right but not that one I don't think and since then of course The Island of Dr Moreau <laughs> which I know you've seen yeah uh, and enjoyed I like it yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it would be interesting to know what Richard Stanley's Moreau was going to be like because apparently that was one of the reasons you know the split although allegedly it was more to do with Val Kilmer just not really seeing eye to eye with him or the studios thinking that Stanley couldn't control uh, Kilmer um, but yeah Moreau is a bizarre movie isn't it it's Brando at his best again it's very unique <laughs> it's like nothing else but I do like all the uh, the apocryphal stuff that goes with uh, with Moreau uh, Stanley coming back on set as an extra in full costume yeah though. And maybe getting credited as well as Melting Dog Man or something. <laughs> um, but I'm surprised we didn't cover that. Actually, I think that would have been a good one. Maybe, maybe next time round. Yeah, I think out of all the all of the Stanley films that I've seen, yeah. the Stanley works that I've seen, the Dust Devils, like by far the best. No, once again, really loved it. Um, since then, I think he's been doing documentaries. Is this right on kind of Nazi occultism and this kind of thing? All oh, right. <laughs> no, I, I've. I've not seen them. I think they might be available in sort of box sets and things. But um, I know he's done some because there was a release of Dust Devil where they included three documentaries that he'd made. Mm. I mean, that's gone out of print now, but um, maybe worth tracking down on YouTube or something. But, um, yeah, it's a shame. I feel sorry for him. I think he had a, he had a promising future, and unfortunately, it's just one of those sad cases where nothing went right for him, did it? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's easier to look at the potential of someone rather than the reality. And there's so many directors we know who did great first films and then sort of faded away into nothing much else. I don't know. What a grim note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's one minute to midnight. It will be next week. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye. Good night. Remember the day Ben Mukurov came to call on me? 
I was still working as the projectionist at the start of Bethany Drive-In. We were showing the bird with the crystal plumage and the legend of the seven golden vampires that night. It was a good double. I remember it well. shoot a movie it's always a black hole into which I shuffle money uh, it always destroys every relationship in my life and um, I always end up usually desolate and bankrupt at the very end of it I mean the actual stuff that I shoot seems to always be that way <laughs> <laughs> 